Have you ever wanted to start over, uh, to have a change, uh, to have a fresh start? Sometimes you get a chance for a change, even when you didn't mean to. Uh, when I was at uni, uh, one night I was working on a project. It was late at night and it was due the next day. It was a computer-based project and I was working at the command prompt. Apparently I wasn't w- thinking all that well because all it took was a split second. I typed a command, pressed enter and instantly my project was gone, deleted, uh, erased and there was no getting it back. So I had to start again. Uh, In God's kindness, restarting the project from scratch worked pretty well. I was able to finish it and I did hand it in on time. And I think with a mixture of adrenaline and experience, the second version was better than the first. Uh, Some things need a fresh start. Uh, Whether it's demolishing a house so you can rebuild or putting a new engine in a car. Sometimes we think the big changes in life will give us a fresh start, uh, a new job, uh, moving to a new town, starting a new relationship. But often we find out the new ends up like the old because we haven't changed. Although we come with accumulated wisdom, we also bring our habits, history and baggage. Today we're going to see and hear God's promise of a fresh start, a truly fresh start. If you look down at verse 19, Acts 3.19, this is God's promise. Your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah. God promises a fresh start and a new future. Uh, We're picking things up sometime after the events of Pentecost. In Acts 2, we heard the last days have come because Jesus is risen and ascended and he's poured out his Holy Spirit. Uh, Last week, we saw how this changed people's lives. The earliest Christians were awed by the apostles' teaching of what God had done Uh, They loved one another and showed this in extreme generosity and deep hospitality. And they were full of joy as they prayed and praised God. And we see at the end of chapter 2 that after 3,000 people started following Jesus on the day of Pentecost, people were continuing to trust in Jesus because of what they saw and heard in these new followers of Jesus. Today, we're picking things up sometime after that event. We're not told how long. And this event is recorded, I think, for two reasons. First is, it's an example of the things that we heard summarised last week at the end of chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. And second, although we're not going to see it today, this event triggers the first suffering, the first persecution of Jesus' followers. Things don't remain rosy for too long. And it all begins with a sign done through the apostles, a sign that gives a fresh start to a lame beggar. So read with me from verse 1, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, 
at three in the afternoon. We heard last week the believers regularly went to the temple to pray, so, so so far it's a pretty normal day. Let's keep reading. Now a man who was lame from birth was um, being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Uh, In Acts 2.43 we heard there were signs and wonders being performed through the apostles. This is one of those signs. A bloke who's never been able to walk, who's been dependent on the coins thrown to him by those coming to the temple. And Peter and John have the audacity to give him not what he asks for, but what he needs. Healing and a fresh start, which is a sign of the fresh start available in Jesus. And just a little note, Peter and John, they don't have any cash. We heard how the earliest believers were selling everything, pooling their resources, giving to the believers who had need. And that was really happening. The leaders, the apostles, they weren't lining their own pockets. They didn't drive up to the temple in some new sports car. They didn't fly there in a private jet. They don't even have a couple of coins to throw a beggar. But they can give him a fresh start. Verse 7, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We're told in chapter 4, this bloke was over 40 years old. And here he is, jumping and dancing like a child. It's a new life, a fresh start for him. It's also a fresh start because we hear him praising God. He's physically healed and he has a new joyous relationship with God. Because what's happened isn't a magic trick. It's This miracle has been done by Jesus. Verse 11, and when the man held, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own godliness, or sorry, our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Right off the bat, Peter makes it clear this is Jesus' doing. 
Did you hear? Over and over again he says this healing has occurred through the name of Jesus. It's there in verse 6. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And in verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus. It is Jesus' name. Now what's this mean? It's not a magic spell. It's not that the two syllables, G, sus, have magic power. It's like what the old police shows used to say. As the criminal is running away, the police officers run after shouting, Stop in the name of the law. Why the name of the law? It's because as an individual, a police officer doesn't have any authority. If Joe Bloggs is chasing you, yelling, stop, there's no authority in that command. But when Joe Bloggs has a uniform and a badge and commands you in the name of the law, those words come with the authority and power of the government, the parliament, the king or queen. And when Peter speaks in Jesus' name, it's not Peter's authority, but Jesus. Who healed? Whose power? The risen and reigning Jesus of Nazareth. And we see this in the titles Peter uses to describe Jesus. The titles explain why Jesus has authority and power. The first is, verse 13, he is God's servant. This doesn't just mean that Jesus was someone who served God. Peter's saying Jesus is the suffering servant we meet in Isaiah. This is what Isaiah says about God's servant. For example, chapter 52 says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. As the servant, Jesus has been exalted. He's been glorified. And the one who is glorified is also the one who suffered. As this part of Isaiah continues, But he, but the servant, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Peter says, Jesus is God's servant. He suffered and died, but it was was God's plan. It was God's plan that his servant would be pierced and crushed for our sins. And it's because Jesus took his people's sin onto himself that he has been glorified. That's the first title. Jesus is God's servant who suffered and is glorified. Uh, The second title is in verse 14. Jesus is the holy and righteous one, which is more than merely saying he's without sin. It might be another way of saying Jesus is God's Messiah, the King. But I wonder whether he's saying Jesus is God himself. Psalm 71 says, I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, Holy One of Israel. 
And Isaiah 24 says, from the ends of the earth we hear singing, glory to the righteous one. I wonder if that's what Peter is saying about Jesus. Jesus is the holy and righteous one, the God of Israel. Because this would fit with the next title. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is the creator. He is the source of all life. And this is only true because he is one with the Father, true God. So whose power healed this man? It's not Peter or John's power. It's Jesus and the authority in his name. Jesus, the suffering servant, the holy and righteous one, the author of life, and yet they killed him. They perverted justice, convicting the Holy One as a sinner and letting the guilty go free. They crucified the author of life. But God wasn't defeated. This was always God's plan for Jesus to suffer in our place. And God glorified Jesus, raising him to life and seating him at his right hand in the heavenly throne room. And the healing of this lame man is proof. The fresh start for this beggar is proof Jesus is alive and reigns and rules. But it's not only this bloke who gets a fresh start this day. His new life gets noticed by everyone who's come to the temple to pray. And what they see is a sign of a fresh start for them too. Verse 17 Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Peter tells them to do one thing and then holds out three promises to them. The one thing is repent. Repent means what it says next, turn to God. Going right back to Genesis 3, Our normal response to the guilt and shame we feel, the guilt and shame we feel from our sin, is to turn and hide from God. We want to cover up our shame and our guilt. But because Jesus suffered, on the cross he carried our guilt and shame because of God's grace and mercy. Instead of turning from God, He invites us, he commands us to turn to him. And he promises that when we turn to God, we will find three things. Sins wiped away, times of refreshing, everything made new. Uh, Sins wiped away, it's as if all of our sins were written up on a blackboard. And when we turn to God, he promises to dust the record clean, to wipe it clean. In fact, more than that, he promises to repaint the blackboard so not even the dust remains from what was written. 
And God promises time, times of refreshing, the joy, comfort and assurance that comes from knowing God's forgiveness. We no longer have to hide. In Jesus, God promises a fresh start now and a whole new future. And that's the final promise, that Jesus will come again and instead of facing his judgment, the promise is turn to God and when Jesus returns, he'll restore everything and you get to live with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, Back in chapter 1, the disciples asked Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were looking forward to restoration. Here we are, chapter 3, verse 21. It's the same word, restore, but the vision is bigger. Peter now knows Jesus is on about restoring all creation. Christians often talk about believers going to heaven, going to God. That's not the main game. The big final exclamation mark promise of verses 20 and 21 is Jesus coming to us. Heaven coming to earth, all things made new. And all this is the fulfilment of God's promise. Promises that go back to Moses and Abraham. Verse 22. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Uh, Moses' point about God raising up a prophet, on one level it's about listening to every prophet God raised up. And they are to listen to them because every prophet points to Jesus. Though Peter is being even a bit more pointed than that, ultimately and fully the prophet whom Moses speaks about is Jesus. And that crowd in the temple that day, had not listened to the prophet. They'd crucified him. They deserve, as Moses said, to be completely and eternally cut off from God's people. And yet in God's mercy, a fresh start is still being held out to them. And today in Jesus' life and death is held out before you. Repent and receive Christ. And there's forgiveness, refreshing and all things restored. Reject Christ, ignore what he says and be eternally cut off. That's the stark reality. But listen up. God is biased. He's weighted towards grace. And he's always been this way. It's been his promise for thousands of years. Verse 24, indeed, beginning with Samuel and all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, He sent him first to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. What's God's promise been since the time of Abraham, 2,000 years before Jesus? 
It's to bless not only Abraham's descendants, not only Israel, but the whole world. Though the blessing begins with Israel, they're the first to hear the message. Peter is saying this in Jerusalem, in the temple, at the centre of Israel. It begins there, but it goes to the whole world. And do you notice what the blessing is? Often people say, oh, I'm feeling really blessed when things are going well for them. We're, we're blessed if we're healthy, wealthy and happy. But look at what the Bible says. Look at verse 26. God's blessing is turning people from their sin. It's pouring out his spirit and changing our hearts, turning them from a life that's dead and enslaved to sin and giving a fresh start. That's the blessing of God. A changed life. A fresh start. Oh, honestly... We don't always feel blessed when we're going through the refining fire, when we're learning to love Jesus and hate sin, when we're feeling the painful effects of our sin, which seems to be one of the ways God turns our heart and changes us. But it is God's blessing to be changed by him, to experience times of refreshing, because sin is exhausting. It's exhausting to constantly be dealing with all the mess our sin makes and dealing with the burden of our shame and guilt. But sin wiped clean, a renewed heart is a blessing from God. Uh, The fresh start God offers is a truly fresh start. Because God promises to change us, to bless his people by turning us from evil. And God's promise is available to you today. Repent. Stop running from God. It doesn't work. It only leads to pain and exhaustion. Turn to God. He'll forgive you. Wipe clean your guilt and shame He promises refreshing now. Yes, there will be suffering in following Christ, but also joy and comfort in knowing forgiveness. And there's hope for eternity. Jesus returning and restoring all things. If you're running, if you're hiding from God, if you don't know if your sins are forgiven, Cry out to God today. Turn to him and receive what he's promised. Maybe you've been walking with God a long time. This promise of God of a new start, we need to hear it over and over again. We too easily forget that turning from sin is always a blessing, that repentance is a way of life. Do not harden your hearts. Don't block your ears to what Jesus is saying to you today. We must listen to everything he, the promised prophet, tells us. Do you need to do business with God? Turning back to him today. And do we believe this good news is not just for us, 
but it's for the whole world, for all the families of the earth. The reasons we tell our friends and neighbours about Jesus, the reason we teach R.I., isn't because we think we can convince anyone of anything. It's because God has promised to bless the whole earth. The God who gave a new life to the lame man, not just physically but spiritually too, is the God who promises to give new life a fresh start still today. So as we pray, we're going to turn to God and thank him for his promises to us and also ask he'd use us to pour out his blessing as he gives fresh starts to our family, friends and neighbours who don't know Jesus. Let's pray. We praise you, Father, that in Christ you offer a fresh start. Sin wiped away, refreshing in this life and eternity with you in the new creation. Please pour out your mercy that we might receive this fresh start, knowing the blessing of being turned from sin and rebellion to find new life in Christ. Please make us like the healed man, walking leaping and praising you for the deep work you're doing in each of your people. We ask you might give a fresh start to thousands of people in our region and use our words to bring about repentance and faith. Please give us great joy in Jesus. We ask for his name's sake. Amen.